Welcome to Reconceive with Deborah Cox and Tracy Maxfield. Over the next hour, Deborah, Tracy, and their guests will help you understand therapist burnout and how to feel better now. Listen close to bring vitality back to your practice. Now, here are Deborah and Tracy. Welcome to Reconceive. I'm Deborah. And I'm Tracy. And we're talking today about writing as a coping strategy for helping professionals. Yes, writing as therapy for the therapist. Um, So today we're going to be joined by my dear friend and colleague, uh, Dr. Adam Madden, who is a professor of English at Missouri State University, about the benefits of writing, writing every day as a way to manage emotion and reduce stress and clarify our thoughts, capture our ideas and spark creativity. Um, So before we bring her in, um, let's just kind of catch up about uh, what we've been noticing lately in our own writing. I know I am doing more writing right now than, um, than I had probably the whole last year. Um, But I find that I need a prompt. Like it's, I, I don't just naturally go to the page and um, start writing like I used to. So Tracy, what about you? Do you have a writing practice that you do regularly? I did. I, um, you gave me a book last year called This Year in You. Yes, yes. Which is a fantastic book every, the year of you. The year of you, right. So every day of the year has a different prompt. And starting January 1st of this year, I was writing every day for several months. Mm -hmm. And then for no apparent reason, (laughs) I just stopped. You just stopped. I did too. I got through, let's see. February twenty seventh. I, I can't. I think I went. I, I think I went farther than that, and I was finding it helpful and enjoyable. Mm-hmm. I would do it every morning when I woke up, mm-hmm. and I thought it would be beneficial because during the pandemic, I think October of twenty twenty, I went into a depression, mm-hmm. and. I decided to share some of the things that I'd been keeping secret, like we all do, mm-hmm. with my father. He's yeah. a very good listener. Yeah, I thought, is. I have to do something to get out of this depression. Uh-huh. So it felt good to reveal some of these things to my dad, and he was non-judgmental. And, uh-huh. and so I continued that with the book that you gave me on writing, and I felt that it was very beneficial. Cool. So I have no idea why I stopped. Well, I did too. I mean, I had years of doing morning pages, three longhand pages every morning, um, first thing while the coffee was brewing. I did that for a long time and it helped me a lot. And then somehow I fell away from it. So yeah, today we're going to talk about why therapists and helpers need to write. We need to write every day. I believe that uh, we're going to come at this from both a scientific perspective and an artistic perspective. Um so let's introduce our guest. Hello, Etta. Thank you so much for being with us today. Hi, Etta. Well, hello, y'all. Thanks for having me here. I'm looking forward to talking about writing. Yeah, it's one of your favorite things. You're you're also kind of a writing coach, right? You teach writing. Well, it's interesting that you use that word. I've never called myself a writing coach, yeah. but 
<laughs> but I um, have taught writing through the years, although I was hired to teach American literature. <laughs> but a literature professor can't be a literature professor without writing. And so I have worked with students at the university, but I've also done a couple of workshops with you mm-hmm. on uh, writing and healing and writing mm-hmm. as therapy. Yeah, yeah. And you you and I um, connected on our writing. I mean, that's how... That's how I got to know you all those years ago. How many, 20 years ago? Well, you know, what I remember is we were gathering women's stories mm-hmm. and we were really focusing more on the um, the oral, the telling of the story yeah. more than the writing. And then through the years, I think we, you introduced me to uh, Julia Cameron that I think we'll be talking oh, about a little okay. bit, a writer, Julia yes. Cameron, not that we met her face to face. Um, and then through that, I think I, I began learning more about the value of writing every day. You brought me a stack of books um, back in, I don't know, it it hasn't been 20 years ago, but it, it's been a long it's time. It's close. It's close. <laughs> yeah. Do you remember that? <laughs> so, yes. Yeah. So what was happening then was I was teaching a course called um, Writing not writing as a way of healing, but narratives of healing. Yes. And one of the books that I had my students buy was on writing as a way of healing by Luis de Salvo, who Salvo. Is, has published a lot of memoirs. Mm-hmm. I know you've read mm-hmm. Breathless, Breathless. And yes. I've often taught one on um, food and fights in an Italian-American family. Uh, she's written about anorexia. She's even written about moving. But she's written a how-to book, Writing as a Way of Healing. Mm-hmm. So that was that really was back around, it was 2006. 2006. Okay. We had little bitty boys. Yes, long time ago. And I I want to tell everyone, I was not writing every day. You guys were talking about starting the journaling in January, maybe as a New Year's resolution, (laughs) and it dies a slow death in February. February. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I was never a daily journal writer. I I would do free writing with my students. I would do free writing when I had a writing assignment on a larger project, but Mm -hmm. I was not a daily journal writer until we started talking about Julia Cameron and her strategies. I am very surprised. Well, so yeah, you you brought me um, the the DeSalvo book, and you brought me also five or six memoirs. Yes, about women coming out of um, religious cults and 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 you know different kinds of religious traditions. Yeah, sometimes even more traditional religious paths like Roman Catholicism. Right. Yeah, Karen Armstrong, I believe. Um, and yeah, so I devoured that stack of books and it, it caused me to want to write my own story, um, which, which I did. And that is wife material, which I've mentioned before. So, um, yeah, you, you really helped me. That well, was thank you. And I, I don't know, um, I don't know if this is the right time for me to say this, but I think, I think one of the things we're going to touch on today is the difference between writing a lengthy memoir that may see a larger audience through publication. So a kind of public writing mm-hmm. that may begin as private writing. But that's, you know, that's like asking a beginning musician mm-hmm. to play in a symphony, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So we're talking about a kind of a daily practice that has a very different purpose. Yes, exactly. So before we get into that, do you want to talk about your new book? Um, well, I'll just say that because I was hired to teach American literature primarily, my new book that is is on women and their utopian visions uh, is focused on 
three 19th century American women who were in Italy mm-hmm. and the transformations that they went through in their journeys, mm-hmm. their life journeys while they were living abroad. The element of it that's connected to what we're talking about today is that writing helped them. Mm-hmm. It helped them figure out their paths. It helped them take chances. Okay. It helped them deal with their relationships, whether with spouses or parents uh-huh. or siblings. Uh-huh. Um, and so writing for them helped them foster their growth as women. Yeah. And that when I say they're writing it's diaries, it's letters, it's also they're writing for publication. Oh, it's all of that. It's stuff. all of those things. Private and public. Private and public writing. Okay. So so now what's the name of it's called Engaging Italy, American Women's Utopian Visions and Transnational Networks. It's an academic book with a long title. <laughs> <laughs> published by uh, SUNY Press, State uh-huh. University of New York. It'll okay. be out in paperback actually as this is airing uh, oh, early really? October. Okay. Yes. So people can go to my website if they want to learn more about that, um, at Perfect. Um, yeah. So yeah. Okay. thanks for asking about it. Right. So now let's just talk about the regular practice of writing. Do you, you said you didn't write every day. Do you well, so once I learned about Julia Cameron, mm-hmm. And what she advocated with the morning pages, I knew you had been doing morning pages and I kept hearing you talk about your morning pages. Mm-hmm. And I was like, ah, oh, who has time for morning pages? <laughs> I got to get my kids out of the door. I got to get my makeup on, you know, I, who has time for that? <laughs> and so I, I got her book and I read it and I thought, wow, this is what Deborah's talking about. Okay. I need to do this. Yeah. And so starting, I think it was four or five years ago, mm-hmm. I started writing morning pages. Awesome. Yeah. And it has it has been transformative. Yeah. Now when I don't do it, it's like I haven't brushed my teeth or I, <laughs> I haven't had my coffee. Right, right. I found it to be the same, but like it just is an indispensable part of starting my day. Now, I obviously dispensed with it. I started um, a regular meditation practice and I found that I couldn't get it all done in the morning but writing can be meditation, right? I, I'm so glad you said that because I am someone who has never been good at meditating. Mm-hmm. I have lit a candle. I've you know sat in the right kind of room. I've sat with the right posture. And I seem to not have the mind control mm-hmm. to keep myself focused on you know keeping my brain, whatever, clear. Mm-hmm. And so for me, the morning pages are a kind of meditation, but they allow me to channel those random thoughts. Yeah just on the page where they're out of my head, they're out of my head, they're down on the page. If I want to reread them later, I can. Mm -hmm. If it ends up being sort of a to-do list, that's fine. But if it's writing down my dreams or Mm -hmm. if it's writing about, you know, the person I got angry at the night before, Mm -hmm. it can be whatever, but it gets it out of me and onto the page. Onto the page. Yes. And that act of getting it out of me and onto the page has a number of benefits. And I know we're going to talk a little bit about the science of that. Um, As we go along, we're going to talk about James Pennebaker's work. But other people have speculated about what happens when we get our thoughts out of ourselves and down onto the, the paper, looking at them. There's a kind of brain dump that happens, um, right? That's sort of that okay, blah, 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 stream of consciousness. These are just all the random thoughts that I'm waking up with today and they may not make sense to anybody else, but just I'm putting them down. There's something about 
like almost taking out the trash in a way. Well, that's a polite word. Since you were saying brain dump, I was thinking of bathroom language, but <laughs> <laughs> but um, same but thing. It's there. Ne- it's necessary, right? Right. Um, yeah. And so when you talk about the scientific part, I will be curious to hear what you have to say about the difference between hearing and seeing, because you guys, you're, you know, you're a therapist and you hear people tell their stories all the time. Mm-hmm. You hear them. Mm-hmm. And what we're talking about now is writing so you can actually visualize them. And I'm just kind of curious. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you'll get into that or not. Mm-hmm. But but for me, that strikes me as something without well, scientific language. I like to be able to see what I've done. It kind of helps me okay. work through it. Yeah. That's not scientific at all, but... Mm-hmm. <laughs> Well, in our in our podcast, we've focused a lot on co-regulating, so the connection with other people. Yeah. So talking to other people in a way for your nervous system is more beneficial, mm-hmm. like me talking to my father. Mm-hmm. But if you're going to a therapist, because I've had people that come to me, and when they talk about when they've been to a psychologist, they say... I still won't tell this psychologist my deepest secrets, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which is one of the reasons they like coming to me, because I can work on emotions without them telling me anything. Right, they don't have to tell you. Uh, But writing it down, to me, seems like a brilliant way to ease into revealing parts of you that you've kept hidden, Mm -hmm. and those Keeping things hidden, according to Pennebaker, is associated with disease processes Mm. and pain complaints. And so the writing, what I'm hearing you say, is that the writing, even for yourself and knowing that it's private, getting it out of you onto the page just for you helps reduce the illness. It does. Okay. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that is what the research suggests. And, And I know that for myself a day, a week, a month of just listening and taking in other people's narratives had at one point left me feeling very damned up. I used that language to talk about it. It was like, I'm holding all this stuff and I'm not, I'm not getting to release anything. Um, So it's just like, I, I might have all these creative thoughts, but I don't get to hear them. They might be in my head, but I'm not hearing them. Um, so, so that was a very big part of my doing the morning pages, and that was a big part of why why I did them. So, um, before we go on break, I think um, I want to just list some reasons that I think that it's it's important for helping professionals to write. And some of this I pull from Penna Baker, but some of this I just pull from various people. <laughs> I, I listened to some TED talks this morning and. Um, Sue Reynolds was one that I listened to really helpful, um, decluttering. So there's a decluttering of the mind element, a grounding element, a clarifying element, and a knowing element. We Mm. write to know. Sometimes we don't know what we know until we write it down. So You, you just summed up what we've been talking about. Really? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So we'll talk a little bit more about those processes um, and about how you can get them started when we come back.
Burnout takes a toll on your effectiveness with clients, patients, and students, even your kids. Reconceive brings help for all the gifted helpers out there who want to make a difference, but first need to feel better, more awake, and more creative. Deborah Cox and Tracy Maxfield show you a whole new way to think about mental health and the body, offering insight and inspiration to help bring back the vibrancy and joy to your work in the world. If you teach, do therapy, or provide any kind of human service, it's time to reconceive. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. You're listening to Reconceive with Deborah Cox and Tracy Maxfield. Have a question for Deborah, Tracy, or their guests? Join us on the show at 888-346-9141. That's 888-346-9141. Now back to Reconceive. Welcome back to Reconceive. We are here, Tracy and I, with Dr. Etta Madden, and we're talking about the benefits of writing for helpers, helpers having a regular practice of writing things down. Um, And so we were just uh, listing off some reasons why it could be really helpful for you as a practitioner to have a regular practice of writing. And we were talking a little bit about that damned up feeling of just holding so many stories and maybe you have create creative ideas in your own head, but you you don't ever act on them because you're so busy taking in other people's information. It's really hard to get at your own thoughts and feelings and what you might want to do with them. Um, so uh, let's talk a little bit about what you like to write. What do you what do you like to write most? I don't think I have a favorite. It's definitely not haiku. It's not a haiku. <laughs> I wrote a haiku. Um, I, you know, I think it depends on what else is going on in my life. And so much of my writing has been externally focused in that I have had assignments or deadlines that I have decided to meet. In other words, I'll see a call in my profession. We'll have a call for Mm. an essay or Mm -hmm. an article or some poetry. And so a lot of times I'm responding to those. Mm -hmm. Um, But I do know that when I am telling stories, when I am writing about my own experiences, when I am imagining a receptive audience, Mm. um, when I have a kind of a clear vision of who it is that I'm writing for, it's so much easier and so much more fulfilling. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, I can give some examples, but I don't want to. I don't want to hog the mic here. So, well, actually, I'd love to hear some examples. When when has it felt like that? So, one of the easiest, most meaningful pieces that I wrote was a very short essay or a first person account about my aunt. My oh. Aunt Elaine, my Aunt Elaine. I'm from Arkansas, so I say Aunt, <laughs> not Aunt. And I wrote it because I was teaching a writing course and my students were writing. And I said, I write too. You know, we're doing this together. And so the assignment was to write about a person. And so I was, I'm going to write about my Aunt Elaine because I think she's really cool. Once I started writing, what I realized was that I was writing about her in 
relationship to my father's death because uh-huh. my father was a lot older than his baby sister. Um, and when my father passed away suddenly at age 60, 61, mm-hmm. my much younger aunt swept into our house. My mother was still there, but she just sort of took charge of things. She mm-hmm. cleaned up the yard. She trimmed the bushes. Wow. She like she <laughs> knew how to do things. Mm-hmm. And then I started thinking she had recently lost her mother, her father, uh-huh. and an adult son. Uh-huh. And so what happened through my writing of that piece was that it was really um, a grieving essay for me. Okay. You know, I was working through loss and how she had dealt with so many losses over a 10-year period. Mm-hmm. So I think the message is sometimes when we sit down to write, we don't know what's going to come out of it. Like I was doing that assignment because I told my students right around about a person and I sat down and was like, oh, what do I, what do I remember about my aunt? What are some of the moments that I remember her acting and being? And what ended up happening was I was, I was working through the loss of my dad. You were grieving on paper. Yeah. 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 So how, how does that work? What do you guys think is happening to us when we're putting down those kinds of thoughts and feelings on paper and we, and we get a benefit from it. We, we feel better. Is it, is it a cognitive thing? Is it a physical thing? Is it all of the above? Earlier, right before the uh, broadcast, we were talking about, I was reading a quote from opening up by writing it down, which is Penna Baker's book. Uh This is the quote, awareness of our insight into the psychological basis of our illnesses can benefit us. Mm -hmm. And we were talking about how we both have clients who come to us and for me, they'll come to me with idiopathic pain. Meaning? Pain with no obvious cause. Oh, right. Which I've found is almost always caused by some emotional disruption or psychological problem. But clients don't like to hear that. <laughs> I'm fine. I don't have a problem. <laughs> right. So if it's a pain complaint, they expect that it's just something structural. Uh-huh. And Deborah, you mentioned that you had the opposite experience. If people come to you for emotional distress of any kind, and they also have physical pain, and you try to refer them to me, they get irritated because <laughs> they don't see the connection between illness and physical pain right. and holding in these emotional things that really need to be expressed. They think they're separate. Yeah, they think they're separate. Mm-hmm. But in reality, they're not. They're very, very connected. Very. Yeah, they're one and the same, just different sides of the same coin. And so so having insight about the nature of our physical illnesses um, helps us with healing, helps us helps us feel better, helps us with our, our overall health. Well, that actually, that's the the basis of his work, the basic findings. Right. So science is proving since the 1980s that written expression helps with physical illness. Uh, So once again, science is trying to catch up to intuition because people have known this for a long time, but unless science backs it up, it never makes its way into the mainstream of society. What I want to see is 
all of this good research should change educational approaches. People should be taught in early, like elementary school, all the way through public education, that writing down your thoughts benefits your health. So can I jump in here? Absolutely. So what strikes me going back to this issue of what's the difference between telling the therapist and writing it down is that writing is a cognitive act, but it's also a physical act. Yes. That there is that physical action of either typing on the computer and yeah. seeing the words on the screen or writing by hand with a pen. And that there is something about that that physical movement, that physical action that also links to the cognitive. And I think that that's, yeah. that's part of, of what's happening. And you don't have to be at the gym or with a therapist. And then you also added to writing, you actually see what you have created. Yeah. Like if you're, if you're a painter and you're painting or you're someone who does needlework and you see what you've created, when you're a writer, even if it's just for you, you are able to see what you've created. Nobody's grading you on it, you know? Mm-hmm. Nobody graded my mm-hmm. essay about my aunt. It was for me. But I realized these things, not just about her, but that I was working through, I wouldn't want to call it an illness, but the way that we're talking today, the loss yeah. is a pain, right? It's a the trauma. Loss of a, it's a trauma. It's a yeah. type of trauma. Yeah, absolutely. And I love how you tie it back to movement. Yeah. Because oh, yeah. Yeah. We've talked a lot about how movement is the best form of self-improvement. Right. So that's beautiful. Movement with attention. Movement with attention, especially. Yeah. And what better activity than the movement of writing? Because your attention is all over that. Somebody said um, when I was listening this morning to various TED Talks on writing and healing that um, when you when you are writing, you are um, slowing down. So you have so much going on in your mind, most of us do, I do, at any one time, that when you're writing, it's, it's sort of like a tiny uh, funnel. Your pen is a way to funnel out those thoughts just a tiny bit at a time. You, you have to slow down and be present with it, which is kind of what I hear you talking about with, with neural movement. Right. If, if you want to get new information to your brain to provide your brain with new possibilities, you need to pay attention to what it feels like to write or move. And you also need to slow down in order for your brain to be able to recognize new information and act on it. Okay, so I'm going to jump in again. Please. Because we were talking about the difference in morning pages or writing in a journal every morning and meditating. Mm-hmm. There's also a difference between writing something that makes you slow down and just jotting a to-do list, right? I could jump out of bed in the morning mm-hmm. and like jot a to-do list that had mm-hmm. 10 items on it mm-hmm. in the order that I wanted to get them done today. Mm-hmm. But what we're talking about is more than just a list of 10 items. It could begin there, but you really do need to slow yourself down to say, how do I how do I feel about that third thing that I need to do? do today right you know um there's a lot of richness there to capture potentially yeah yeah and even when you don't do that like the to-do list that I get to do on the weekend and I really enjoy doing that I notice that I feel like I I had a more thorough day I feel more satisfied because I did those things on the list right I'm not saying don't don't make a to-do list I'm just saying that the slowing down yeah 
could, you know, that can be the start of it. Yeah. But there may be more to it than that. Right. Once you slow down, your brain has the potential to create 1.8 million new synaptic pathways per oh, wow. second. <laughs> So when you provide your brain with that kind of new information, it's it can be transformative. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, that's a lot. It a is lot. a lot. <laughs> well, if you think about um, like EMDR, and I know a number of our listeners are EMDR practitioners, the basis of doing EMDR is the movement of that information from one side of the brain to the other back and forth. And we talk about how you're getting an integration that way between stuff that generally lives on the right, which might be more emotional, more artistic and colorful, um, and the information that tends to live on the left or be generated there, which is more linguistic and more data, mathematical, logic, reason. So you're kind of getting a mix that way. And I think writing may be doing something similar taking all those random thoughts and feelings that maybe feel unattached or disembodied and putting them through the funnel of writing, slow, slowing it down, taking it through the left hemisphere, Broca's area, and then extruding it out through the pen, we've done a little bit of selfie MDR. What do you think? Fantastic. It's free <laughs> and you don't have to travel. Right. Sounds good to me. You guys are the experts. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that maybe that's how it's therapeutic, at least for some of us. So um, a lot of our listeners are probably saying, I don't like to write. I've always been told that I was a shitty writer. I can't write very well. That's why I'm not a researcher. I'm a therapist I, or I'm a physician or I'm a nurse. I can't, I can't write. I, I do these other things. Um, what would you say to people like that? I've heard those things a lot. I've also heard, don't judge my grammar, professor. Don't judge my punctuation in this text, please. Um, and what we're talking about is not about grammar, organization. It's not about any of that. It's, as, as you said earlier, it's about sort of a brain dump. It's about getting the ideas down on paper. And if something more comes of it, fine. So to answer your question more directly, there are a couple of things. Um, one is, as we were talking about writing being physiological or physical, I was also thinking of people that might not be able to write because of problems with their hands. Maybe they don't have hands. Maybe maybe they're visually impaired. Um, and so, you know, there are there are technologies like talking to text, mm -hmm. right, which I would say could serve a purpose if necessary. OK, but I would also encourage if a person is not visually impaired that they if they use talk to text to take time to see what they're writing. Yeah. You know, not just to talk into something and never look at what the words are that they put down. Okay. Um, so that would be the slowing down part of it. Yeah. Um, Baker talks about how your handwriting, according to research, your handwriting will change depending on what you're writing. Yeah. Which I yeah. thought was very interesting. Yeah. I didn't realize that. I, I found that if I'm more in that to-do list mode, my handwriting is really sloppy because I'm just like, the ideas are coming so fast and I just, mm -hmm. just want to fire that out and then... I I really do. I want to get to that that slower sort of processing mm -hmm. of what's actually going on in my mind and in my heart. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that writing to know. Yeah, yeah. Like the the um, the narrative research people will say that 
you don't know what you know until you write it, um, which I think is what that slowing down tends to give us. So um, other people will say, other therapists probably will say, how do I ever add this to my schedule? How do I make this happen? I don't have time to write. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You I, I, I kind of said that earlier about uh-huh. that. Um, are we going to have time to talk about this before the break? Or? Well, why don't we go take a break? And when we come back, we'll talk about how to get this into your life. Okay. Sounds good. Burnout takes a toll on your effectiveness with clients, patients, and students, even your kids. Reconceive brings help for all the gifted helpers out there who want to make a difference, but first need to feel better, more awake, and more creative. Deborah Cox and Tracy Maxfield show you a whole new way to think about mental health and the body, offering insight and inspiration to help bring back the vibrancy and joy to your work in the world. If you teach, do therapy, or provide any kind of human service, it's time to reconceive. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. You're listening to Reconceive with Deborah Cox and Tracy Maxfield. Have a question for Deborah, Tracy, or their guests? Join us on the show at 888-346-9141. That's 888-346-9141. Now back to Reconceive. Welcome back to Reconceive. Tracy and I are here with Dr. Adam Madden, and we're continuing our conversation about writing for the professional helper and how important that is. And um, we were just kind of getting into, okay, how do I do this? I'm already too busy and I don't think I'm a good writer. And how do I put this in my life if it's so good for me? I don't have any any blank spots in my schedule uh, to put writing. And um, you've got some suggestions about that, don't you, Etta? Sure. I think I mentioned earlier that for years and years and years, I didn't do daily writing. Mm-hmm. It was, I mean, I wrote for my job. I was on the job, but not mm-hmm. at home in the morning before mm-hmm. getting to work because I was busy. So there are a couple of things that I do now that have helped me. Um, and they they do come from Julia Cameron's book, The Artist Way. Oh, yes. Um, but I adjust what she recommends for what to make it fit my life and schedule. Okay. Okay. So one of the things that I've done, because I'm addicted to my phone, just like a lot of other people I know, <laughs> not I, me. <laughs> I use my phone for my alarm. So I touch my phone first thing in the morning. Yeah. But what I also have right beside my bed is I have my my little notebook that I use as my journal, mm-hmm. and it has a pen right with it. Mm-hmm. And I actually have my phone further away, and so when I I hit the alarm, and then. I try really hard not to let myself (laughs) look at anything else, no Uh text messages, no social media until I write my pages. Uh And so for me, my phone is a little bit of a reward, you know, it's a reward. So I'm going to write my pages first. So I have it all set up the night before it's all there right next to my bed. Now you've talked about getting your coffee Mm -hmm. and going and sitting and writing with your coffee. Mm -hmm. So, you know, people can figure that out. I, 
It depends. Sometimes I get my coffee, but I write my pages in bed. In bed. I am in bed. If I'm lucky, I have my coffee in bed with me. So, you know, (laughs) yeah, Um, there's a remote control for the coffee maker. Exactly. (laughs) I'll look into that. Or some people have little robots or people that bring them coffee. (laughs) But (laughs) anyway, I think the point is I don't do it at my desk. I there are a lot of people who do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but that doesn't work for me. I get distracted, mm-hmm. you know, by the time I have gotten myself dressed, got myself dressed, gotten something to eat, mm-hmm. and looked at my social media, mm-hmm. then it's like that time is gone. The yeah. other thing I would say, as far as, you know, setting yourself up so that you can do it first thing and what works for you is to keep your goals sh- um, reasonable and short. Mm-hmm. So Camp Julia Cameron says three pages in an eight and a half by 11 notebook by hand. Mm-hmm. Well, I use a smaller notebook because I like the smaller notebook. Yeah. Um, sometimes I do every other line because I want to be able to read it more. And sometimes I only do two pages. Mm-hmm. Okay. There are times where I feel stressed and I'm in a hurry and I only do one page. Okay. And there are times that I do it later in the day. If I had a bad morning and I overslept, it happens. Yeah. It happens. <laughs> right, right. Meditation can be done anytime. I mean, if you have to rush out the door, you can come back to that later. So, you know, one of the reasons I do come back to it later, because I think, what is wrong with me? What is going on? Oh, yeah. oh I never yeah. took time to write my pages this morning. So yeah. it's three o'clock in the afternoon. I'm going to take a little coffee break and I'm going to, I'm going to do this dump of everything mm-hmm. that's going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wondering why, why do I feel so out of sorts? Yeah. Yeah. It's like exercise. Once you get used to your morning walk or going to the gym three days a week, Mm -hmm. you start to feel it. And you know, another piece of motivation, perhaps for those of you who are um, helpers and healers, you are working with people every day and you're learning a lot. And here's, here's something that I think happens. You, you learn a lot, but you may not realize what you're learning or that you are learning. And I think that sometimes writing in the morning about the previous day is a way to capture insights that you gathered from working with people um, that you can use later. You can use them more readily if you recognize that you have them. So don't underestimate, you know, the the depth of thoughts that you're actually getting. I am so glad. I am so glad that you said this because I'm not a therapist. This is exactly what I have been doing lately that I'm realizing when I get up in the morning, I am still processing the maybe bad or stressful stuff that happened the day before. Yeah. And, you know, I didn't meet my writing goals, not my daily pages, but, you know, I'm, I'm writing all the time. So I didn't meet my goals or I didn't meet my social media goals, or I didn't plant that stuff in the garden that I was going to plant and I'm still processing it. Mm -hmm. And so I could see that that might be, I didn't deal with that client well, or this client really annoys me or my spouse is really bugging me, you know, (laughs) whatever it might be. Yeah. Sometimes we wake up and that's still there. It is. Yeah. Which makes me wonder about maybe writing as we're going to bed. Maybe that's a good place to dump it. I don't know. Um, Okay. So Julia Cameron, I'm really glad you mentioned her. Because she, uh, in in her books, and, and of course she wrote The Artist's Way, she also wrote The Right to Write <laughs> um, and Walking in This World. Those are the three of her books that I have read. 
And she gives loads of writing prompts. And so I think it could be useful for people to have a prompt, have a daily prompt to get them started. Tracy, you mentioned you you were able to keep yourself going for a couple months with those the prompts from um is it Hannah Brame, Hannah Brame's book. Right. Yeah. The year and you the year of you. The year of you, yeah. yes. Yeah. I like the prompts. They help. Sometimes I did ignore them and just wrote whatever I wanted. Oh, cool. But the prompts are, I think, very helpful in general. Yeah. Well, so I pulled some prompts from Julia Cameron um, thinking about today's conversation. And I even wrote <laughs> to one of them. So here, here are the prompts that I gleaned this past week from Julia Cameron. Number one, the childhood friend who helped me see my gifts was two. When I was a small child, I dreamed of growing up to be three. In my childhood, my interest in what art form was discouraged. Four, if it weren't so selfish, I'd love to try. Five, if it weren't so scary, I'd love to tell. <laughs> Six, if I had five other lives, I'd love to be. Seven, among my friends, a fuse lighter who makes me feel creative and powerful is. And then finally, among my friends, a wet blanket <laughs> who drains and dampens me is. Um, so, yeah, so I, here's what I did. I set the the alarm for 10 minutes. And that's what you did for our participants in the writing workshop. Yes, yes. Yeah. But if 10 minutes is scary, you can set it to five. You can set it to five. <laughs> yeah. You can set it to three. Um, but I did 10, turned the alarm on, got my pen, my paper, and here's what I wrote. When I was growing up, dance was discouraged. I got to take ballet for a few years as a preteen, but then my parents stopped it when I got into the eighth grade. They were afraid of what people at Harding um, would say. As I write this, I feel embarrassed that I'm again bringing up my upbringing in the Church of Christ and naming it, but I have to. Uh, but it had every kind of impact on my creative life. At 11, I wanted to dance and I loved the ballet and I wanted to develop myself in the way that dancers develop. Um, but I suppose I switched gears because there was no changing um, the situation. And I put more emphasis on my music, which, of course, was my first love. But I wonder sometimes if the deep grief I have about changing from a piano major to all those other majors that I had has something to do with a larger grief at shifting from the arts in general. I cried so hard when they told me that I had to quit. I just um, had done a terrible piano performance, and they blamed that on my ballet and said that I'd become um, distracted from my music. So what happened there? I loved both art forms deeply, and I was being directed away from one and to the other, and I went with it. But then I decided I should study something that would allow me to make better money than my parents. And eventually <laughs> that decision led me to psychology. And I'm glad, I guess, that it did. But really what I most want to do is play and be raucous and pranksterish and musical and move and dance and dance walk down the street and make art with found objects and write silly poetry and even lewd stories and funny stories and I have fun and have fun and my life doesn't allow for enough of that. 
Thank you for sharing that. Wonderful. Wow. Yep. So there's so many things I want to say, Deborah, in yep. response. Fire to that. away. Fire away. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I guess I want to acknowledge first of all what we're doing now is that we're we're shifting from just talking about brain dumps and just writing whatever's on your mind mm-hmm. to to these prompts, yeah. which can help someone who's afraid they don't have anything to say, but there's also another le- level of help that's going on here. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you know, you chose a prompt that dug into your past yep. and is actually also focused on where you are right now as a therapist mm-hmm. and how the creative energy that you have for the arts. Um, I don't know when it was 20 years ago, 10 years ago, you have made that more and more a part of your life because yeah. you've realized how important it is to your mm-hmm. to your well-being. That's true. Yeah, it's like things that were on the page 10 years ago are showing up on my walls now. And it's helping your practice as a therapist too, right? It is. It, uh, I always That was say a leading question. I said, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, so, it's it's helping me not take myself as seriously in this role. It's helping me laugh a little bit to myself at what I'm doing and at this situation. There's humor embedded in it. Okay, so, okay, devil's advocate. <laughs> it sounds like you're undermining your practice as a therapist and we're supposed to be helping therapists, right? So, <laughs> right, so, right. So how does that work? I mean, how how is this writing and the art that you've been doing that you've had this desire to do, how is it helping the therapy that you're doing? Well, so... Um, I know it sounds like I'm undermining my therapy, but I, I don't think that's actually the case. I, I think we need to laugh more. And I find myself laughing a lot when I see my thoughts on paper. They make me laugh. And I don't know, somehow I'm just less bound up in the seriousness of it all. I think that's it. Yeah, it sounds like it's allowing you to have more creativity. Yeah, and fun. And fun. Right. Yeah. Somehow so, I get disentangled from all this this stuff. You know? So just so listeners know, that was not a planned question. So I may have put <laughs> Deborah on the spot. <laughs> Ask not at all. But but I know she and I have talked through the years about how important creativity is to our well-being, to our mm-hmm. to our health. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's essential. It's like air. It is. And it's it's part of being in the biobehavioral state that provides health, growth, and restoration. Thank you, yes. So it sounds like you wrote about the past and it's actually helping you in the now, in the present. You were talking earlier about writing, looking toward the future. Yes, so um, earlier we mentioned James Pennebaker and you quoted from him, but the the one Pennebaker essay that I read focused on looking forward and visualizing life goals, new parts of your oh, life. Oh, yeah. And okay. that list of prompts that Deborah read mm-hmm. from Julia Cameron, if anybody wants to go get the artist's way, the prompts are in there. But the, the prompts are primarily looking forward. If you could be anything that you want to be, yeah. if you could say anything that you want to say, um, and so there's, they're kind of visualizing the future. I and I think that. that that's part of the, the secret too, is, is not just getting trapped in the past, but yeah. using, you know, using our ability to visualize. Have you right. been doing that in some of your morning writing? Oh yeah. I mean, in a very simple form, that's a to-do list, right? Right. But, <laughs> um, yeah, but, but I go beyond that as well. I think like I could see myself living in Italy, having my own villa, 
<laughs> doing writing workshops. Doing yeah. writing workshops. Writing with people. Yeah. Yeah. Which is another whole level we didn't talk about. And that is at what point do we go beyond the private to being in a writing group or sharing some of our writing with other people? And that again is another another level that Julia Cameron talks about in her book as well. Yes. And I can say that as somebody who's been in writing groups, um, it is so much fun. It is so rewarding. And I find it just to be um, really therapeutic and people reading your writing and giving you feedback about it. There's just nothing like that. It's like they get a window in into your soul. But it's got to be something that we want to do. True. Right. True. I mean, we're not talking about if you're just beginning to write your morning pages. Right. It's like, oh, no, I've got to share these private thoughts with others. Well, and, and also another suggestion for helpers out there is that if you are running groups, consider having um, writing groups as therapy groups because it can be really helpful. It can cause people to begin to share um, um, on paper before they talk out loud. And I know we're getting close to the end here. Um, we, we really hope that you as listeners will write to us about your writing um, and your other questions at reconceiverecovery at gmail.com. And thank you very much, Etta, for being with us today. Thank you. It's been yes. a pleasure. Yes. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed it. Hope you'll come back. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Reconceive. We hope you've learned something today you can use to reconnect and feel better. Tune in next week for more on transforming practice. Until then, have a great week.